Sports stories from the 419 in Northwest Ohio brought to you by a voice you know. It's time to go around the area and around the Hearn. Welcome to a new edition of Around the Hearn. A lot of things to get to and two great guests on the way as well. Uh, Joe Gatto from Impractical Jokers Once Upon a Time comes on to talk about his big shows coming up on April the 20th at the Lima Civic Center. There are still tickets available. As of uh, earlier this morning, Frank Kill, the now former Lima Central Catholic head coach, comes on as well and has a, a very in-depth conversation. This is pretty much what happens when he and I talk that uh, goes on for a while. But I promise you it is good uh, if you get a chance to listen to the whole thing. Maybe break it up in segments. But some things to get to in the world of news. And there's a lot that has gone on in this last handful of weeks. Uh, the uh, biggest Maybe in the area in terms of girls' basketball, Riley Sager, the all-time leading three-point shooter in OHSA history in terms of made baskets. She was going to Marshall. Now she's going to Wright State. Marshall uh, fired their head coach. She said, ah, it's not going to work for me. Let's go to Wright State, so not that far from home. Speaking of coaching changes, there are a handful of in the area, Minster named Chelsea McGee, their new volleyball coach. Previously, she was the uh, junior varsity coach for about the last five years. University of Northwestern Ohio brought a new man to the garage, and Richard uh, Westerland was at Great Lakes Community College or Great Lakes Christian College, rather, since 2018. And former Manchester University boss Seth Clark is now the uh, head coach at Bluffton. Talked about Frank Kill, 219-106. Now, this time, I got that right. In the interview, you'll hear it's wrong, and uh, Frank knew the number right off the top of his head. Speaking of LCC, Carson Parker threw a no-hitter this week in a five-inning win over Devils Jefferson. Eight strikeouts and 59 pitches. Uh, he also had time to hit a grand slam. Last night, Coldwater got a, a record broken, and you really have to be doing something to break a record at Coldwater. Madison Wendell has been a guest of this show. We talk about Marshall University. That's where she's going. 15 strikeouts in an 8 to nothing win to become the all-time leader at Coldwater with 547. Through her first four games in the mound this year, she's got 53 strikeouts and three shutouts. Oh, by the way, she also hit two two-run home runs in the game. It's a big week for pitching. St. John's Cam Elwer. Pretty good with the basketball, also with the uh, baseball. Threw a two-hitter and a uh, 6-0 shutout against Spencerville. Last night, Lincoln View moved to a 5-0 and 1-0 in the Northwest Conference as they try to go three years in a row back to the D4 Finals. 14-2. One young man had uh, three hits. Dane Ebel, all he did was put them all over the wall to count for four runs. Oh, and he had a triple and the win over Ada yesterday. Walk-offs? Yeah, we've got a ton of those this week. Douglas Jefferson, 3-2 and 8 innings over Spencerville. Crestview got a uh, 2-1 walk-off against Lipstick at the bottom of the 7th. So did Fort Laramie softball on Monday. Got a 3-2 victory over St. Henry. No hitters? Yep, those are going on too. Walpawks Taylor Eccles threw an 8-inning no-hitter and then scored the bases loaded at walk. Came in from third to uh, beat Defiance, a team that was even with Ottawa Glendorf at 3-3 a couple of days ago. 
and then blew it open, ended up winning 12-3 to three or 12-4. to four. Salinas Seth Lonsway is going to start with the Eugene Emeralds out west in the high A Northwest League as he begins his campaign this year, trying to get through the uh, minors and get up into the uh, major leagues. Pair of commits, Luke Wessel from uh, Van Wert. So he's going to go play baseball at St. Francis, which is pretty much a pipeline, not only to Van Wert, but through Northwest Ohio the last five or six years. And Olivia Matthews, an all-conference soccer standout in the Northwest Conference from Bluffton. She said, Heidelberg and Tiffin seems perfect for me to uh, continue my uh, experience. Got to see Coldwater in a person last week. Corey Klenke got his first career home win. He became the first Cavalier head coach since Joe Reed in 1950 to start 3-0. Unfortunately for him, the uh, Cavs got dominated yesterday by St. Henry 12-2. So that'll put a stop to that. Did get to go out there last week, though, and see Coldwater beat Shawnee. And uh, can't say enough things about how cool it was. Uh, obviously not great circumstances, but to see uh, the wives of the two head coaches that have passed away in the community in the last year throw out the first pitch, and uh, it was a really neat thing to see, and Cavaliers responded with a, a big performance. Speaking of big performances, Izzy Zahn from Coldwater broke the 200-meter dash record set last week, or set in 1998 last weekend. And the 100-meter dash record set in 1988. She wasn't alive when either of those records were set. That just blows my mind. Natalie Brunswick from Fort Recovery said, I can do you one better. Broke the school record in 3,200 meters. Broken records? Is that what you like? Camille Hovis from uh, Kaleida. 122.8 on her uh, throw on a Tuesday night. Broke her own school record. And responded to my tweet about that at like 2 a.m. I don't know why she was up. Couldn't sleep after the record, maybe. Cottonettles Reagan Marshall broke the school's long jump record on a Tuesday. And she had a better uh, day jumping than what Lauren Ockmoody had. Unfortunately, with her pole vault, it snapped in half. Thankfully, she was okay. Salina boys and girls win the Salina Invitational last weekend, beating OG by two and a half on the girls' side and about 25 on the boys' side. OG boys and girls responded, though. Came back and took the uh, team titles at Bats Invitational yesterday to uh, continue their pretty good season, and they had a lot of personal records broken, from what I'm told. New uh, state polls out the uh, first week of the actual polls. Division four, well represented in the area. Lincoln View, two. Rushi, four. Fort Loramie, nine. Jackson Center, 10. Patrick Henry, 11. Kaleida, 15th. Minster 19th, Columbus Grove at 20, Antwerp at 22, Macomb at 24, tied with St. Henry, according to uh, my buddy Tony Quach. If you see him, by the way, thank him for all he does. Uh, the uh, other divisions, by the way, in Division 2, Wapak was number 3. They beat number 1, Defiance. Division 3 has Liberty Benton as the top team, Coldwater at 6, Indian Lake at 30, and Versailles. Who's got a big game tomorrow with my buddy Scott Fry on K94 at noon. They actually play a doubleheader, but the first one on uh, WKKI, Versailles and St. Mary's. Uh, talked about WBL baseball. Defiance opened their WBL play by beating OG 
Wapak beat Salina, so that'll put the uh, Redskins at the top after two big wins this week. Softball had Wapak beating up on Salina and St. Mary's beating Bath. Good week for the Ryder ladies. And maybe the biggest performance in softball this week outside of Madison Wendell. Addison Fisher, a sophomore Wapak, three home runs, knocked in nine, and a 15-3 win over at New Bremen. That is kind of a look around if you uh, like to have something mentioned or if you've got a performance you think I should make sure to get on the show, please don't hesitate. Tweet me at Michael Hearn PVP. Make sure that I see it. I'm an easy person to find. When we come back, we'll talk Impractical Jokers and Lima and comedy and so much more with the great Joe Gatto and uh, the uh, one and only Frank Kill on the way as well here on Around the Hearn. Ottawa's favorite place for award-winning ribs and wings, including their great drink specials, is the Red Pig Inn at 1470 North Perry Street in Ottawa. Come in for their great daily lunch specials and their expanded new menu items. Stop in for Single on Wednesdays and the WZOQ Zoo Cruise Sports Talk Show. Be sure to check out their live entertainment on the weekends. Follow your favorite baseball teams and more on the big screen TVs. That's the Red Pig Inn, 1470 North Perry Street in Ottawa, 419-969-1002. Back now as the uh, Lima Civic Center gets ready to bring you something pretty special coming up on April the 20th. Two shows with Joe Gatto, and I was informed one of them's not different than the other, despite the fact that it's listed very kind of in an odd way. But, Joe, uh, I have to ask you, have you ever been to Lima before? I have never been to Lima before, and I was calling it Lima for a long time, and now I just got corrected, so I'm glad. Um, but Ohio always comes out in a big way. The state of Ohio is always good to me. I've always had great fans, great shows there, no matter either doing the Joker's Live tour when I was a part of that or my solo tour. I've been through different parts of Ohio, and it's always been fantastic. It's so funny because all the things I wrote down, one of them was I just wrote the word Lima, and I was just going to ask you how many times or how many people had said Lima because it's a real big thing. Everybody in town, every time a, a performer or an athlete or whoever comes to town, mm-hmm. just look at them and remind them, it's like the bean. Like the bean, yeah. Is that where the bean comes from? <laughs> or are you guys named after right, the bean? Right, like, yeah. what happened with the bean in Ohio? <laughs> I, they just looked at Peru and they're like, uh, you know, that seems like a good thing for the middle of, you know, Ohio. This is giving, this is giving me Peru vibes, <laughs> middle of Ohio. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. There's nothing. I mean, the trees are the same. You know, the climate's the same. Exactly. You know, they have snow and all that. <laughs> uh, but I think you're coming at a good time. I mean, because you're right in the middle of April where you could experience all four seasons in one day. That's what I'm looking for. I like to, you know, I'm only going to be there once. I want to jam everything in for the two shows. I'm hoping it's going to be stormy for the first show and the second show. It'll be a nice, clear night, nice, warm, clear evening. I think that you might not want to jinx that, though, because the Civic Center has had a couple of performers over the years that have had bad luck that have made jokes like that. And the power went out. So (laughs) I hope that that doesn't happen. Oh, well, I'm very funny in the dark, though. My wife says I'm very good looking in the dark, but I think that's a whole other thing. <laughs> For sure. It is, uh, it's obviously a big event because I've seen a lot of buzz online. A lot of my friends are talking about how they're excited for you to come to town. Obviously, big fan of a TV and everything that you've done. When you kind of get into smaller cities, because it's not a huge venue. I mean, you've played big arenas. Does it matter to you, or is it one person listens, 5,000 people listen, 500,000 people I'm going to make a joke. If they laugh, they laugh. Yeah, that's more that's more my take on it. You know, I mean, I'm, I, 
I'm out there just to bring some joy to the people that want to experience it. And, you know, if that happens to be, you know, somebody in an arena or somebody in, uh, in a comedy club, I mean, that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm there to do. I live to make people laugh. So, um, you know, what I do like, my favorite thing about this tour that I've done that I've been put together is to come to these smaller towns and play these theaters with such rich history. And, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's too, you know, I'm not going to sell out, but you know, <laughs> a stadium by myself, <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, but it's good that I'm like in this theater size, like a theater is where I feel home. Like this size crowd is really what most of my career has been, which has been really fun and interesting to do. It's intimate enough where I could do, you know, get into the crowd and talk to people and get to meet the people, spend time after the show, get to town early enough and walk main street, get some, you know, a coffee and a, you know, a coffee and a cupcake to walk around town with. Um, it's always been, you know, that's what I really like about this tour to get to these different cities that I've been through that I would not even have known existed really. So uh, that's why I really like about joke. Out is not a comedy in the way we've put it together. Well, I don't know that I would walk main street proper. Um, in Lima, but if you do, you're a tougher dude than I am. <laughs> you know, I'll find the right part of downtown to, to hang out in. <laughs> just walk around. Just people will be like, I think I know that guy. I think like, it's no, funny because people people do that no as soon as I land. They're like, don't go there. Like that's the first thing I hear. It's like, don't go. No, you're staying by the airport. Ooh, don't go outside. <laughs> well, I would be surprised if in Lima, if the first place they tell you to go isn't QP. Is what? There's a really good burger place that Lima is known for. It's called Cupy, and Cupy? it's actually not that far from where the Civic Center is. Oh, okay, yeah. I normally hang out where, like, near the wherever I'm performing because I find like that's what's got a nice little mix of like either mom and pops or you know a uh, little local fare or something like that. So, well, you might want to uh, send somebody down there because there will <laughs> probably be a long line no matter what time you go. Okay, cool, cool. I was talking to Joe Gatto about his uh, special coming up on April the 20th, 7 to 9.30. Tickets, I believe, still available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think at this point at the Civic Center box office. But it is uh, it is kind of different. I mean, you just kind of walk around town. Are you at that point where people still say crazy things to you? I mean, you you guys have done a lot of things that are amusing over the years to uh, people kind of come up and go, hey, do this or do that. I know people recap things like I wasn't there for me a lot. <laughs> They're like, hey, you remember the time when you – I was like, yeah, I was there. I did it. Um, but for the most part, it really is like – I talk about this in the show. Like people talk about me looking – you know, you have to get recognized all the time. It happens, but I kind of just look familiar. You know, they don't know where they see me from. Like, <laughs> you know, so the, I had one guy in an airport come up to me. He's like, hey, hey, honey, honey, that's the guy. The, the guy, and she didn't know who I was. And he was like, the guy with the three a-hole friends. And he came over and then he was like, you're one of the impossible pranksters. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Uh, when you uh, go to a, a show like this, do you just pull off of uh, things that are going on in your life? Or is it you have kind of a, a, a honeydew list in terms of you see something, you write it down, you kind of work piece it and, and go from there? Yeah, when I built the hour, it was a little mix of both. Like I have stories that I wanted to tell and things I wanted to talk about. Of course, you know, my time on Jokers has been such a big part of it. And, you know, that's why people have come out to see me initially. So I want to make sure I pay homage to that and, and, you know, give the people what they want a little bit of behind the scenes stories from that. And, um, you know, just stories about my friendship with the guys, because of course it's such a big part of my life. It's impossible for me not to talk about that, you know? Um, and, uh, there's also other things that are like kind of perspective-y, but more, I'm more of a storyteller than I'm not up there. Like, you know, making jokes, I'm more telling, uh, stories that have entertainment value built in and there's jokes around them. Um, so that's kind of the way that I present. That's my, been my approach to stand up really. Now, did you find that 
for yourself kind of doing shows over the years or did you maybe look at somebody stylistically and go, okay, this might work more for me? Yeah. I mean, watching a lot of stand up made me realize what wouldn't work for me. I think, um, I'm, you know, cause I'm not, a, I probably haven't Bill been Cosby a, jokes probably. Yeah. I haven't been a traditional stand up in the fact where like, you know, I, I think comedy is comedy though. Right. Like I think like if you are funny and enjoy to make people laugh and know how to do it, you'll find your own way. So I think my voice is a mixture of kind of a commentary. Um, I'm pretty animated up there cause my body's always been a comedic weapon. I'm pretty energetic kind of like a panther up there. I don't stop moving, you know? So I've always been that. So I think it kind of just, you end up on that stage and you're like, okay, just go ahead and be funny. And that's how you find your way to do it. And for me, it really is like a mix of physical comedy with animated storytelling and, you know, a little bit of joke telling mixed in. With having kids, did that, I mean, did that help you in terms of uh, like, I find myself with a two-year-old of, I'll just say anything to her as long mm-hmm. as I think it'll make her laugh of, Okay, if that doesn't play with her, maybe this wouldn't play to a bigger audience. My kids are a litmus test. Yeah, no, I will say my um, halfway through the um, tour, I had gone on vacation with the, the kids and I took them to Disneyland. And I had a very funny thing happen. And I was like, oh, this might be a good story to tell. And now it's arguably the biggest story in my show. And it just ha- happened with my son at Disneyland. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting because I hadn't really spoke about it for the first half of the tour. I didn't really have something that were, that I thought was, um, you know, what people would want to hear or how I was comfortable telling it. And the story is, is great. And I love telling it. And it really captures my son personality, my dynamic as a father, like things like that. So I think that's really cool it, it, to have them as an inspiration now, more so than as a target audience. <laughs> I think those are the best because that's the one where someone goes, no, you made part of that up. Yeah. Like, it's funny because pretty much every story I tell, my life has been so nutty. Like all the stories I tell are stories that have really happened to me. So I'm not out there really pontificating on things. It's like just a recounting of my crazy journey that has become my life, um, you know, starting from, you know, 15 years ago. And I, like I said, I always find those the best because you can tell when a a person, a performer, a comedian, I think is being honest versus when, when they're up there and they're kind of like, all right, maybe X, Y, Z happened, but maybe they added a little bit of flair to it of, yeah. Oh, I, I'm pretty sure all that actually happened to that. <laughs> yeah. You expand on the comedy in a way like to make it funnier, of course. I mean, but the story of the story at the core is true. I mean, there's truth in comedy. That's, you know, a major saying and that how I was, how I always had learned comedy. Um, so I, I think that that's always makes it easier, especially for me as a performer. It's like, oh, I'm just telling you something really funny and interesting that happened to me in a funny way. What's been the best part of this, uh, getting out on this tour so far? Meeting the people. I mean, the, you know, I do meet and greets after and stuff. And it's just always been great to, because now, especially the, the, the time we're coming out of the pandemic and things and, and seeing people and knowing it's been tough for a bunch of people, like that's been really great to be there for people and hear about that and have people like people come right up to me and be like, you know, tell me these, their opening sentences. Like we have a laugh after they say it, they'll come up to me and be like, you know, they're like, I have cancer. They don't even say hello. <laughs> it's like, And I'm like, hi, you know, it's like one of those things and you're just there for people in a way. And it's like, you've gotten me through this and, and I'll hear about all these stories about like what I've done for them. And it's, it's not lost on me. It's, it, it's great to be there for people. And I've had a pretty rough go of the, you know, past year and a little bit. So it's, it's, it's been nice to get out and laugh together. So I think that's my favorite part of this is to be out there in front of people with people laughing together for an hour and forgetting about how terrible life could be sometimes. I assume a lot of it is 
Yeah, you know, I was laying around during the pandemic a lot. You were on my TV constantly. Yep, yep. Well, the big thing is, like, all hospitals play True TV, and True TV just basically marathons the Impractical Jokers. So everybody finds it, like, when they're in a bad spot, <laughs> laid up in bed, and then it's they're laughing at it. So it's really just a way that it's it's such an entry point for so many people that they, when they're either in the hospital with somebody or in the hospital themselves, they find the show, and they just watch it all the time and laugh. So um, it's it's really interesting that way. I think that's a compliment. Uh, maybe <laughs> I'm going to take it as one. <laughs> uh, I think the only time that, uh, people are mad about true TV is when they can't find it for the, uh, college basketball. Tournament. Yeah, that's right. There's March, March Madness. We're really going to pop. It's like, like, who are these wait, guys? <laughs> wait, hold on. Is, is that, there's a channel that those guys are on all the time? Yeah. Cause my grandma does that. So Go I the Joker's channel. Guys. That's it. She knows that it's those guys on her TV again. <laughs> sure. I, I read a lot of things about you. The one thing that, uh, I, I, thought was fascinating i want to ask you about this uh i read that you were made a kentucky colonel ah yes sir you're welcome colonel joe colonel joe yeah (laughs) i uh yeah it was funny because they were like we were in the show i think it was in uh might have been louisville but we were in kentucky and uh, and the guy the venue was like okay uh you guys ready for the ceremony and we're like what how does it go yeah come on out i'm like oh okay and he they a guy came out like in a full suit thing. They had these plaques. They all got together. He read this thing and he like an organist and they gave us these plaques that say, oh, we're Kentucky colonels. And I was like, wait a minute. I was like, what does this mean now? Can I just run these streets? Like what's going on? Am I above the law? So I just started stealing candies from local stores. And I was like, sorry, I'm a colonel. Right. right. Sorry, Colonel. Colonel. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Actually for a guy. while Q made us call him Colonel Quinn. It was very funny. I, I that part does not even surprise me. <laughs> Um, I thank you so much for doing this. I, I hope that people come out in droves uh, that they have to actually turn people away because there are so many. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, we, we had to add a second show. So, you know, the people do want to come out there. So I'm excited to come out and have a great night with everybody there in Ohio. Uh, let me ask you that quickly before we go. How does that work? Do they call you and then go, hey, uh, you got this one show people bought a lot of tickets would you be willing to do another one yeah that's how it goes exactly it's like you know your ticket you're sold out do you want to add in a second and you know i was like could we do one and we look at the time and it's like well it's a late show but it'll be all right everybody will come through so yeah that's how we do it <laughs> just do it like the garth brooks thing where he goes on forever and then they have to actually kick people out to get <laughs> that's it they have well the late show actually i mean people i have a lot of people come to the early show and then come to the late one again <laughs> uh which is it's fun too because you know people just spend the night that they are already might as well that's not where I would choose to spend the night. <laughs> You'd much rather be watching Paw Patrol with your two-year-old daughter. Right, I know. right. That's exactly <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I got to stop SpongeBob somehow. You're right. You're right. April 7th or April 20th at 7 and 9.30 at the Lima Civic Center. Thank you so much for uh, coming on and for uh, being a part of this. You got it. Thanks for having me. That's Joe Gatto. We're back with more here in just a couple of minutes. Danny the Dealmaker, it's time for the Lee Kinsel Guarantee. What's that, Eric? At Lee Kinsel's, we guarantee our best price on every new Chevrolet and GMC. Every day, always. Fantastic, Eric. We also guarantee that you'll get top dollar for your trade-in, too, no matter what condition it's in. Man, oh, man, that's an awesome guarantee, Eric. I'm not done yet, Danny. Here at Lee Kinsel's in Bamworth, we guarantee the best service after the sale you could ever get. You'll be so happy that you'll come back again and again whenever you need a new vehicle. And our top-notch service department guarantees they'll get your vehicle in and out as quickly as possible and running good as new. Wow, Eric, that's a lot of guarantees. I'm surprised you're not also throwing in a guarantee that I'll remodel their kitchen, too. Wait a minute. That's not a bad idea, Danny. Oh man. When am I going to learn to just keep my big trap shut? 
we canceled GM Sales and Service in Van Wert, where they guaranteed just about everything but the kitchen sink. Call 866-LEE-KINSEL, shop online at leekinsel.com, or stop in at 650 West Irvin Road, Van Wert. Welcome back. The second most requested guest, or the uh, second guest that's appeared here the most times, Frank Kill recently stepped down as head coach at Lima Central Catholic, and uh, I reached out to the guy who's one ahead of you in Keith Newtonorf. I just want to point this out. For some reason, he's been on the show seven times, but he had really nice things to say to you, and I just want to share this to you. Frank is a dear friend, and he's always been kind to me and supportive of me and our program. A better person than a coach, and he's a damn good coach. I will miss him. Well, that's very, uh, it's very kind of oot, and feelings are mutual. You know, you know. Obviously, Hearn, we're we're in this business. Uh, what I would say, obviously, a little longer than the average NFL running back. But when you're in it with the guys that are on the other side of the, uh, you know, the scores table, it's exciting. I mean, it's fun, and trust me, those guys are the ones I'm going to really truly miss. And even as much as most people think this, I am going to miss my relationships with my officials. Um, I've gotten so many responses from officials. Um, of course, they want me to come to the other side. And I said, I don't belong on the dark side. <laughs> you couldn't pay me enough to wear stripes. But I, you know, the, the coaching aspect of everything, I'm going to truly miss. Um, especially on a day-to-day basis for, with my players, with my coaches, but it also the camaraderie that we, I always have with 95% of the coaches before the games and the 5% that I don't get to like have, that's not because it's my choice. It's because most those 5% coaches that stay in the locker room, um, uh, won't mention any names, but I don't know how they just stay in there and just kind of collaborate themselves. Um, I, it's it's truly those are the memories and the, and the relationships I'm going to miss. But hey, never know. I might be on a sideline someday, calling a game from somebody somewhere. So I plan on uh, just stepping away for a while, and who knows how long. Thirteen years, two hundred six, one ten, a couple of state titles. But the uh, Lima News interview, I thought. Hey, fact checker, fact checker, back back it up. That's what they it's, said. I know it's two nineteen and one hundred six. Oh. How did they miss a whole season? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure where that information came from, but it's 219 and 106. Well, the fact checkers on this show aren't very good. I'm just <laughs> going to point that out. Oh, that's because Avery hasn't made it to kindergarten yet. Yeah, well, she's the last thing she's going to be reading is Frank Kill's bio. <laughs> she's got other things to do. But uh, exactly same article where they got that wrong, by the way. Um, I thought yeah, I know, was... I know uh, that. I thought it was great because we've talked uh, enough times and had a lot of honest conversations and you were very open with them about the comment that stuck with me when I read it was I was three games over 500 my last handful of years. Winning two state titles probably bought me a little bit of leeway. We weren't great. We could have been better was kind of uh, where it seemed like you went, but you took it upon yourself of, I should have been better for us to be better. And I think that's a big thing that maybe doesn't get enough look in that article. You know, when I took this program over 13 years ago, you know, I took it over from a guy by the name of Bob Sagerson, which a lot of people know. Dude didn't have many losing seasons. And 
I think my talent pool the last couple of years, we should have been a lot better. Now, was our schedule a lot tougher? I can't, I can't say or whether it was or it wasn't. But like this past year, you know, with the late start in football, um, because of football, I just didn't, um, we just didn't turn the corner like I thought we would have. And then, you know, we, I just, you know, and, 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 you know, her and it's, it's really a reflection of what I was going through. When I say in, in those articles, I talk about finding my passion and finding my joy and my closest inner circle, you know, they knew I was never like really happy or satisfied. And, you know, Obviously, we won five of our last six games of the regular season. It was never, it was never good enough, and I just didn't, it didn't please me. Never satisfied with it, and you know, when my wife, you know, looks at me as I'm walking out, getting ready to go to a game, and she simply says, "If you're going to be like this, and you can't be happy, and and the man that I married and filled with joy, get out. It's not worth it." And I truly needed that voice of reason kind of to put me in place because I faked it to make it a lot of times. And then most people, you know, didn't even know that was taking place. And that's, that's the, I'm always, I'm a pretty uh, optimistic guy. I'm very positive a lot, you know, most of the time. So I don't let, I don't lead it on it. Like people know that like I'm miserable, I'm not happy, you know, so it, it did come as a shock to most people. And for me, I was doing everything I could to kind of play it off. Like, we're going to be better. It's okay. I got to be positive because if I'm not positive, who else is going to be? So, you know, to think about that statistic of, you know, three games over 500 the last five years. But if you take the statistics, you know, from 2016, you know, 16, 17 season, I'm eight games under 500. And that's unacceptable. I got to see you guys twice this year. Uh, drastically different games, obviously. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but the loss on the 30th of December to Lyme, or to uh, Otto Glendorf at the Supreme Court, not an easy place. Uh, they're, they turn out pretty good. And then in February... They weren't too bad, were they? No, I mean, they were all right. I mean, it's kind of the thing, who'd they ever be, right? But uh, yeah. And then seeing you again at the Fieldhouse against Coldwater later in the year, it was fascinating to me to kind of not only watch your team uh, kind of ebb and flow throughout the course of the season, because that OG game, I mean, that was early. They were clicking. You talked about you guys get a late start. You come out, and it, you have three wins in your first five. The weird thing about you have that massive away schedule with the the rodeo in town, I think, is how that went at uh, Monsignor Her. But I, <laughs> I, I loved your team late in the year in that, that Coldwater game was not going well for you at different points, and you brought the kids over at some point, must have uh, pulled out the magic beans from your pocket. They came out like a completely different team and just continued to battle until the end, and you came out on the right side of it. Well, that team you saw at Coldwater was basically the same team that was playing the first, you know, 17 games. We just, we were never clicking. When I say clicking, the last six games of the season, we were clicking. We were on all cylinders. I mean, beating Liberty Benton, beating Defiance, beating Arlington, beating Salina. You know, those were good wins for us. 
but we played as a total unit. And that cold water game is like, we reverted back to where we were in January. And that's the thing that like I struggled with is like, why are we acting like this? Why are we playing like this? Like, and I, as a, I, as the coach, I, as the, you know, as Matthews would say, the commander in chief, um, I took full responsibility for it and I could not figure out why I couldn't figure out, you know, what we were doing, the reason why we're acting this way or playing this way. It's not like we changed up the rotation because when we sat, you know, Willie Foster, you know, we became a better team and then Willie became part of the rotation and that's what we did against Coldwater and we just, we just were bad. And then obviously we we're even, you know, worse against Bluffton. So, you know, we ended up, you know, scraping enough together to beat Coldwater. But to me, it was one of those games again, you know, I just felt total, you know, I, I, I had a plan and my plan didn't work, wasn't even close. And I felt like, you know, those were the moments where I'm like, all right, this is it. Like, I'm, I'm not the man for this job anymore. And as much as like, I got the best out of my players, I felt like another coach might have success and do, do a better job. And I would think it would be especially frustrating, too, because you talk about that winning streak uh, going into the tournament about as well as you guys could have played. You knock off two teams who I think finished with maybe five combined losses in Liberty Benton and Defiance during that streak. Right. I mean, we 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 were playing so well. And I say as well as we could possibly play because those were those were two of the better teams. I mean, you know, as I looked at the end of the season, I mean, at one point we, you know, we're five and 10, you know, going into, you know, the seeds, the drawing and everything. And I'm like, man, we'll be lucky to, we'll be lucky to win seven or eight games. And to be able to finish the season at, at 10 and 11, you know, cause we didn't get a, we had to cancel, you know, for sales. So we finished the regular season at 10 and 11, you know, like, okay, we're one game away from 500. We beat cold water. Things are going good. And just, you know, it was almost um, too good to be true of what we were doing. And, you know, I mean, I, I knew I knew our next matchup, obviously, if we would have beat Bluffton, was, was OG. And I sarcastically say to people, I was like, well, losing to Bluffton saved two years of my life, you know, because preparation for them is, is miserable. And it's just... It's, I mean, it's a sad, when I say it's a sad situation that I was in because me personally, like I just wasn't happy. And that's the reason why I made that decision to step down. I haven't been happy for about two years, you know, before we were on air, Hearn, you know, we were talking about our main man, Aaron, and that guy meant the world to me. My dad was my world and, an and another fine lady, Vicki Mimonian, who I worked with, for 18 years, um, she was my rock at school. And so losing those three people, they brought me joy every day. Like, you know, my mom, my wife, my kids, they, they still bring it to me. But when you lose that, it's so hard to replace. And obviously death just sucks. It's terrible. And it's hard. It, it's been hard on me. And you, know, you would think winning and being around kids would like, replace that and replenish it just didn't do it 
No, I, I know exactly what you're saying. I, I uh, have struggled, you know, especially with what I do for a living. When I, I just go to work, it doesn't matter where I am. I, I laugh and I think of uh, any building that I can walk into of Aaron, who is like family to me, of uh, just, you know, hey, we laughed about this here or, hey, we did this here or whatever. And, I mean, I, I cried. I won't even... I, I'm not even going to hide this. Uh, we talked about this uh, when we did the podcast, Remembering Aaron. I cried the first time I walked into LCC because you guys have that picture of Aaron <laughs> up in the press box. And just kind of because of uh, of our relationship, I kind of made sure that I sat myself right underneath that picture because I already knew that he was there critiquing me over my shoulder no matter what I was doing. So I just kind of thought, yeah, well, we might as well just actually let it happen. And, uh, I mean, that's uh, that's something hard because, you know, like you, I've, I've lost a lot of people in the last 10 years that were big uh, parts. But I went through that same phase of I love what I do, but maybe I love it a little bit less just because, you know, my mentor and my brother is gone and, and it's not as much fun. So I, I totally understand what you're saying. And, but that, you know, losing that and then, then I had to go to work every day and try to put on a front in front of, you know, a hundred kids every day was hard for me, you know, and I, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm blessed that my boss and my, the administration, the teachers that I work with and the athletic department that I work with, um, you know, they were very supportive, always have been, you know, Stephanie Watkins and, you know, Mike Rumschlag have been just amazing people to work with. It's just something that like, you know, when this, when I have this, I have a potential opportunity coming up that maybe for a job came open. I'm like, you know what, this is kind of God's timing. And maybe I can walk out with my head high, be prideful and, and, and humbled at the same time, um, knowing that I'm walking out on my own terms because I said, you know, I mean, LCC, the tradition of basketball um, deserves better. It needs to be better. Kids got to be better. And so maybe with a new uh, coach at the helm, can turn it around, get them back to the to to the program that that I that I took over from, that I led to two state titles to, because there's a lot of talent in that, on next year's team that could do some really good things. And I selfishly could have stuck around, but it would have been it would not have been fair to the kids. I will ask this. Uh, first of all, it's crazy to me that when thinking about it, the last 30 plus years that LCC's only had two boys basketball coaches. But I, I'm not looking for a specific answer. I'm looking for a yes or a no, because I don't want to get into a whole thing and try to <laughs> try to pull back on maybe something you don't want to talk about, but. When you were on your way out, were you asked or did you offer up who maybe you think could be that guy? The next uh, guy. You say, uh, no one offered No one asked me. They, I mean, several people, people asked me, who do I think? And to be honest with you, um, I don't know. I don't know. And when I say that, like I have two great assistants in Corey Wilson and Craig Mack. Phenomenal guys, great assistant coaches. What I think of LCC head coach, 
And I say this because it's who I was groomed by, mentored by in terms of Bob Sagerson, faith first, meaning very Catholic, devout Catholic, you know, family oriented guy. And then T-Bird basketball. I don't know. I don't know who's out there and I don't know who would be willing to step into that type of role and put faith first because a lot of guys in today's world, it's reversed. And they put their career first, family second, and their faith last. And so for me, when I stepped down, even from both of my positions of teacher, coach, I'm not tooting my own horn, but I will for a second. Like, I did a lot. And that's probably one reason why I'm burned out and tired. Because... People in today's world, I mean, you know this, the generation that we're living in is like, what am I getting paid? I don't get paid to do that. There's a lot of, first off, coaching, you don't go into it to make a, make a career out of it in terms of being paid to pay your bills, um, especially at LCC. So I would love for someone to be able to come in who had the same type of drive and passion for their, for their religion as much as I did along with their family and then to be able to transfer all that over to a team because we're grooming young men, young boys to become boys to men. Motel Philly back again. Back again. Do a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. That would have been Aaron's response too, by the way. That's I was waiting for it. (laughs) So it, for me, it's also, it's, it's just, uh, it's bittersweet. I mean, I hate stepping away, but I know that like these, this next senior year's senior class with Carson Parker and Billy Burke and DeMar Foster, Jake Venerella with Jake Neiman and Parker Judy, they, they got a great group of senior class coming back with Matthew Quatman and Willie Foster. I think they can do some really special things. I mean, I know OG's got White and Erford back, but. I think LCC can do, they can do a lot of great things. And, you know, one of the only few comments that I saw, the only negative comment I've seen on social media, and I try to stay off social media, but some guy out there is like, well, let's face it, the LCC just doesn't, they haven't had the winning ways lately. That's probably the real reason why you're stepping down. I'm like, no, not exactly, but good guess. I'm Someone's going to at me for this, and this is 100% a joke. Just, Just to clarify this, because... I bring this up because everyone <laughs> says this. The next guy has to also be a good recruiter. Because <laughs> that's, every, uh, that's everybody's to, thing, though. But I think you have to be appealing and open to, to that. Because let's face it, that is a, that is a major, I don't say, issue in today's world of, of high school sports. I mean... Look at Richmond Heights. Clearly, there's something going on there. Legal, not legal, whatever. It is what it is. And, I mean, we live in Lima, so we have a very select fuel, select pool to choose from. And I've never, and I will go on record, I will take this to my grave, I have never recruited a single kid to walk in my building except... Dan, Tez, and Trey to stay at LCC after we won in 2014. 
the only two kids I've ever recruited to stay at LCC. But you weren't you weren't combing Spencerville, Allen East, Elida, Shawnee, and saying, "Hey, you got to come play at LCC." No, actually, I did just the opposite. I called their coaches and said, "Hey, so and so is shadowing today, or so and so filled out an application today. You need to you need to check on your kids." I did that twice with Matt Taylor and his kids. You know, because the last thing I want to do is break my relationships because my relationships with coaches, not to say are any more important or less with the kids, but I am not I am not recruiting kids to come to LCC if they're at another school. Can't say that about other coaches, but that's that's the world that that's why I can lay on my head my, I can lay my head on the pillow every night without any guilt whatsoever. Well, I mean, they had to recruit you from Venadosha to go to Lincolnview, right? I imagine that, oh, you know, you know Crestview was knocking down well, the door. That's in Lincolnview District. So, I mean, I did go to a Catholic school, K through six. So that was in Van Wert. I went to St. Mary's Catholic School. And then I went to Lincolnview because that was my home school district. Uh, that's No recruiting there. <laughs> okay, fine. Then they recruited the rest of those guys, I think, is how that went. Oh, yeah, they definitely recruited Brandon Pardon, Wes Dudgeon, Chad Pollock. And, you know, now Kyle Ray may have been, may or may not have been recruited. <laughs> I mean, all you would have had to have done, though, was ask them if they want to stay at your house for a couple weeks and tell them that uh, you can get some of those pork sandwiches in Venadosha. <laughs> that was only once a week well, or once a year. <laughs> it should be more times if you're trying to recruit a kid. Now to Lincoln View, that should be exactly where you started. Maybe that's what Fish is doing. Yeah, it's working. To get all those price kids by telling them we got more sausage for you. Let all those price kids live right around the corner where the sausage come from. Well, now you're just giving it away. (laughs) Yeah, they're probably tired of it. It's just like, uh, you know, I have a a comedian on the show from uh, Impractical Jokers, and I told him, hey, when you uh, said you were going to Lima, did people tell you to go to Cupy? He's like, Cupy, I might have to look into this. Not a QQ fan. We'll just we'll just leave it at that. Well, no, that's because you had Venadosha sausage growing up. I did. You're right. Thanks. Now they're never going to be a sponsor. <laughs> well, they can always be a sponsor. No, they, I, they won't be now. I'll see what I can do. I've, see if my salesman skills come out. I can maybe get them that's up. your next career. It may or may not be my next career. Who knows? I can't wait to get you one of those white hats that the grill cooks use. <laughs> I'd rather have the apron. Oh, well, you know. But uh, it, it's just fascinating because uh, getting to do this and broadcasting over the years, you get to meet a lot of different people. And I have jokingly told everyone for as long as I can remember, I don't like Frank Kill because he caused me a lot of headaches when I was a kid of watching him and his buddies come into the uh, walk-in closet or the old closet and just uh, try to rip that place down. There's only so many closets you can walk into. <laughs> and when I walked in, but remember, I walked into that closet every time with my cousin on the other side. So it was always, it was always personal. So, you know, my cousin Rocky never let me down. You know, he never let me, uh, you know, forget who, who he was. And I mean, he trash talked more than anybody. So, 
well, could let my could let my uh, little cousin Rock 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 beat me. That's because Rocky was a damn fine football player, and he was more worried about running everybody over. Facts. Uh, and in to be fair, he ran over most people, and I think he's probably the reason why Lincoln View didn't have a football team at the time or now. They just don't want to deal with trying to <laughs> stop Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ever. They thought about it. And he canceled it. He was like, "No, we don't want to have to face that guy." Right. Uh, when you look back at obviously this entire tenure, you, you about 21 years, what is it? I mean, uh, what do you have specific memories that stand out? I know that obviously the state championship games and uh, with the relationships with the kids, but I mean, kind of you're just able to sit back and go, wow, those those couple of things like those really hit me on the nose. Well, I remember, of course, I had zero background in teaching religion and father hardigan hires me and bob segerson walks in the office after my interview and and said goes you know i want you to come to my office and i remember going to his office and here i am a you know 22 23 year old kid who just recently married you know new life doesn't really know what direction he wants to go in he's been in education and i apply for a teaching job you know born and raised catholic but you know seg takes me in his office and talks to me and he's like if you get this job i want you on my staff i'm like damn i <laughs> i mean i had a heck of a career at lincoln view i had a really good career at defiance how's bob segerson really know or even want, why would he want me on my on his staff well and probably because he hasn't like, really sat and talked to you yet so he doesn't really know you <laughs> And the more and more that we hung out and coached the guy, we were probably more and more alike in terms of just very passionate. Of course, you know, he's in his late fifties, early sixties by the time I come around and then, you know, it's, he's, he's grooming me to be the next coach kind of secretly if I stick around. And the one advice he always told me was if you're going to go to any, any school, Make sure you can go where you can win. And I always grew up knowing LCC was a winning school, winning tradition. And that's, that's it, you know? And so once that happened, you know, I remember, you know, my son was born about four years later and the entire LCC community just rallied around us. You know, it was four months early and we, I'm telling you, it was it was a huge community thing, and and just like it was so awesome, you know. And I I became a golf coach. I won a state title with being a golf coach, and thinking like, you know, we are you know doing something special here. And you know, I took over for Matt Taylor after winning two two state golf titles. They were just those were memorable moments that I always remember as a as a community, and and people just rallied around you. And then when I, you know, in 2010, when Seg wins his, you know, state title and kind of walks away, you know, in the sunset on a horse with his wife, it's just, it was so picture perfect. And I'm like, God, I hope I can have that someday. And then just being blessed, you know, four years later, being a head coach, I always had to, you know, repent myself, remind myself, there are coaches that have coached for years that never get in this position. And I've been able to do it after four. And then when my second after six, 
And I'm like, this isn't even right. Like this, like I'm not supposed to be in this position, but somehow, some way God has put me in, in this position to be around these kids, around this community. And it was special. And I'll, I'll never forget that. But, you know, the teaching aspect of it, a lot of great mentors, a lot of great, you know, administrators allowing me to be, you know, Frank Kill when, you know, I'm not your, I'm not your holy roller priest that sits in front of class. And, and basically, you know, I, I am as real as what you see on the sidelines is what you see in the classroom to a point. <laughs> um, and I just, that's the great thing about LCC is they allowed me to be me, but also they were extremely supportive and encouraging, but also, um, you know, they helped me be a better person, be a better man. From 2009 in November and the start of the season until the end of the 16th season, you go 166 and 23. That's that's a, a heck of a run, first of all. But did it kind of make you laugh? Because uh, Matthews and I had talked about this, about how you guys became not really uh, – the, the hunted isn't necessarily the right word, but that team where everybody is just, ah, good Lord, we got to get these guys. We, we got to knock them off that perch. I mean, you had a 28-1 and season, your worst season, I, I guess if you want to look at it that way, you go 19-4. and four. The only mark where you don't win 20 games in that span. But you guys are number one with a bullet on everybody's list of we just we just can't stand these guys because they just keep winning and they just keep doing it to us. I mean, I what, think that's what's the, that like from the inside? The, well, you know, like Tyson said it this past week, I think in one of his articles is that, you know, the standard of winning and being excellent is not easy because it's the standard of always staying on top, you know, listening to, you know, LeBron James talk about how the mark of excellence is not easy is, is tough because you have to continue to always be on your A game. And I, I think maybe that's why the burnout there was for me because I was always, always and always, always had to be perfect. Well, and because too, I would imagine. I mean, you go from twenty-eight and one to the years you talk about six and seventeen, nine and fifteen. You have one winning season and a couple, or two winning seasons in a couple of uh, five hundred years. After that, you're putting in the same amount of work. You're, you know, giving out the same kind of advice, that kind of stuff. You're doing what you've always done. It's just not going your way, and I, I can see how that would be massively frustrating. Oh, extremely frustrating, you know. Because I know where I've been and I know where I want to go. And unfortunately, you know, getting, and I think it's just the generation of kids, getting the generation of these kids to listen and to be coached. Um, Because a lot of these kids, I mean, I see it on both, both, both schools, you know, when I play, they think they know they have, they have a better understanding and a better, you know, knowledge for the game. And I, and I struggle with that. And I think that's the hardest, that's the hardest component about teaching and coaching in today's world. And I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's a COVID thing, but these kids today, they have, they think they have a deeper meaning and a deeper understanding for the game. Well, now it's kind of a different thing too, obviously, than 
throughout your entire tenure and, and when you played that now everybody's, you know, a kid has a 20-point game and everybody's, you know, talking him up on Twitter of, oh, that shot that you hit or that layup, now you're the best player. And it's a massively different thing because everything is a highlight reel now or it's attempted that way instead of, all right, if we win, I win. It is so hard to get kids to, like, just understand when you see thing when you see highlight films on let's just say Instagram or Twitter, you don't know how bad that kid played. All they saw was the massive dunk for the you know, seven three pointers. We didn't see the twenty five three pointers that he missed. Or the eight turnovers he had. Facts. But that's the world I mean, I have I have kids or I've had kids in the past think that they're D one. I'm like you don't understand how hard it is to be Division One. You're struggling to play Division Three basketball in high school, and I can guarantee you, you have no idea the work ethic that those kids put in at the Division One, Division Two, even the Division Three NAI level. So, I the the level of understanding and the level of athleticism and competitiveness is different. Kids nowadays, they don't watch basketball the way that, like, we used to. Nowadays, they just look for the highlights. Well, it's like the Cliff Notes version. It's just easier. <laughs> yeah. It's the, uh, back in the day when you and I played Contra, you know, it's the cheat code. <laughs> up, they up, want, down, they down, want left, left, code. A, A, B, A, start, yeah. Yeah, yeah keep going. Yeah, they want, they want the easiest route possible. And there ain't no easy routes. If you want to be successful, I would love, I would love for kids to have a conversation with Martise, Dantes, Trey, you know, Biggs, the hours that they put in before and after practice, school is they they don't want they don't want any of that. They the gifts that they've been given they just want to use right you know now and think they're like what do, why do I have to do anymore? I was dominant in sixth grade. Right. Oh, great. You were a foot taller than everybody in sixth grade, too. Well, I I derailed this entire thing because uh, this is, I think, a whole other podcast on uh, culture of things. But um, I, uh, I laughed when I realized earlier on that uh, we had an episode of this show that had both you and Matt Tabler on, and I made a joke about whichever one of you guys wins, obviously the other one has to uh, – you know, basically be their butler. And uh, I might have stolen that from a Seinfeld episode. But you get to, I mean, unless you go back into coaching in the future, you get to hold that last one up because you guys beat Elida. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's never, that's never came across Matt and I's conversations. You know, Matt and I, we, we, got, we get together every Thursday night and we call it round table. One, there's no table, there's no round thing, and it's just Matt and I. And we talk hoops. And last Thursday, after it was all over, the only thing he texts me goes, tonight is a sad night because tonight is the last night. It will be the last night that you will be a coach. And I'm like, oh, that stinks. That's depressing, you know. But as I said to him, I was like, and he did say it to me, but you'll always be coached to me. 
And I said that in my news article that, you know, I'll still be coached to, to most kids. But I've never – I did think that, oh, gosh, Tyson got me last. Todd Boblet <laughs> got me last. Doug Etzler got me last. You know, those Keith are Zutendorf those got, are school. Oh, you got him last. Oh, he got me. Oh, that's right. I forgot about the uh, yeah the last yeah, one. I was up five. I was up five going to fourth quarter, and we had a just meltdown, <laughs> like I, a like a two year old throws a fit. Which is weird because it sounds like you're talking about Keith. <laughs> I didn't say anything about Keith throwing a fit. <laughs> Well, hey, he did. Trust but me, it, he did that night. Yeah, he may or may not have thrown a fit, but those. He but did. see again, those are the those are the moments and those are the the times and relationships that I will greatly miss. Is my is my fraternity of coaches. Well, we have many ridiculous things that we could probably spend an hour on on this show. I I've always enjoyed having you on here. You're the uh, second. Most frequent guest behind Keith Hutendorf. I don't know why. He's number one. But uh, I I can't say thank you enough. I, I've loved getting to know you and getting to uh, to watch your teams, except when they beat my alma mater. Well, I'm actually uh, in the car right now, getting ready to uh, take my beautiful wife to Cleveland to go to the home opener tomorrow. So should be a should be a good time. Go, Jose. Go, Jose. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I can't wait. Should be a good time. Well, thank you so much, my friend. And uh, again, congratulations on everything and uh, best of luck. Well, Hearns, always a pleasure. And again, I can't thank you enough for our friendship with the media and just keeping it real. You know, it's one thing that, like, I'm as real as I get. I'm genuine. And what you see, what you hear is what you get. And I know that's the same thing I get with you. So. Thank you, and I appreciate our friendship. That's the uh, free agent head coach in uh, Frank Kill. More when it come back here in uh, just a few. McSilver Saloon in Coldwater at 880 East Main Street, where you can get a three-item, 16-inch pizza every night for $11.99. And every Wednesday night, if it's wings you're craving, well, that's just $13.99. For all you can eat. Live entertainment every single weekend at McSilver's. You can also stock up on hash browns, mini tacos, and grilled cheese and bacon cheeseburgers. If you're having a family party, a family gathering, or a graduation, give McSilver's a call. They can accommodate you as well at 419-678-2602. That's McSilver's in Coldwater, 880 East Main Street, Mercer County's number one sports and entertainment bar. I know it's been a while back uh, with this show, and I am uh, so happy and so thankful that uh, people listen and help out want to be a part of this show as well, and I can't say enough good things about Frank Kill and Joe Gatto. I uh, was so happy to be able to have those two guys on this week and just kind of get to uh, sit and pick their brains, and I hope that you've enjoyed it. Please reach out to me and let me know what you thought about it as well, as uh, it's a lot of work that goes into that and making sure that try to find things that are interesting, and obviously with Joe, maybe a little bit more outside of the world of sports than what uh, we normally do, but hey, it's my show, right? I can do whatever I want. Check out uh, anything local. Just be sure to support local and uh, make sure to tell the kids good job and good luck. And hopefully I'll see you out soon. Thanks for listening. Have a great night and an even better tomorrow. Here I go. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Around the Hearn. 
Come back next week for more local stories from the NWO. But until then, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Michael Hearn PBP for more great area content.